Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 14. This week, we have a very special guest with us. Jason Street. Thanks for having me on. I'm a blue team, red team guy, InfoSec Ranger at Pony Express, and I'm very easy to Google, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, those uh, digital footprints are, are hard to monitor these days. We were just talking yeah. about that last week, Michael and I. And yeah. don't worry, everybody, Michael is here this week, too. I didn't, I didn't replace him like I usually do. Right, I actually get to be here for the guests this time. <laughs> we have some awesome stories to cover this week. I have Max can be remotely infected with firmware malware that remains after reformatting, and Man in the Cloud owns your Dropbox and Google Drive without malware. What do you have for us, Michael? Yeah, this week I've got Lockheed open sources its secret weapon in cyber threat detection, and hackers exploit Flash and one of the largest malware attacks in recent history. Right on. We're going to start out with Lockheed Open Source and its secret weapons and cyber threat detection. Why don't you tell us about that, Michael? Lockheed this week, they're actually sharing some of their defensive firepower with the community in, uh, at Black Hat this week. They've got an open source release of an internal advanced threat tool uh, that's dubbed Lake Boss. I believe it's pronounced Like a Boss. <laughs> like a Boss. I like that. It's a... Um, <laughs> Malware detection platform um, that kind of helps security analysts basically, you know, hunt down files and in uh, an enterprise environment. This goes hand in hand with the cyber kill chain methodology of threat defense, which if you don't know what that is, it's a seven stage system of a cyber attack. And it, and it's, you know, stage one reconnaissance, stage two weaponization, stage three delivery, stage four exploitation, stage five installation, stage six C2, command and control, and then finally, stage seven, action on objective. What makes this different, you know, than most malware detection is basically what they said is it atomizes individual file elements for analysis. So instead of looking at all of the traffic at one time, it breaks it down into other units, and then that is getting analyzed at the same time, but in a um, kind of in a different system. So particular units are um, looking at different sections of that. I don't know if this reminds you of any tools you've seen, Jason, but this kind of reminds me of a, of a tool that I saw at ShowMeCon. There was three young individuals who were at ShowMeCon. They were actually had just graduated high school two weeks yeah. prior to the convention. And they actually created a pretty nifty program that took hashes of all the different pieces of malware. So that way, if a piece of malware changed up how all the functions were laid out in the code, you know, it was checking the hashes just of specific functions rather than the piece of malware as a whole. The one thing that I can think that I've seen it's going to, the industry is going to, is like uh, Bromium has a, like a micro virtualization uh, like micro VMs in the browser trying to actually run the things and test malware as it goes to a site, protect it once it's analyzed it. So I like the way that they're starting to do the approach with 
actually getting more involved in the user interaction, the user layer of uh, where the actual exploits are happening and trying to dissect it and trying to get to where the payload is and ascertain it there instead of just relying on heuristic signatures, stop looking for patterns, or stop looking for just plain signatures. So I, I do like the fact that they are developing more defensive weapons or defensive tools with the mindset of an attacker because we have to start using more red team methodology to better aid the blue team. The software is really cool because rather than looking at the item as a whole, rather than you know seeing just an email come through and it checking it for the malware, it's actually breaking the that email down into multiple parts. So it scans the body of the email, then it checks the attachment, and then it checks the the different parts inside the attachment. So it kind of compartmentalizes everything, you know, and, and takes some of the load off of the work, which is really awesome. I, I do see a problem with that. I would like to see how they deal with the privacy issues of that being actually someone scanning attachments and like going to a corporate enterprise is fine. Uh, is this based on a server that is local? It's like, um, is it based? Uh, there are privacy laws in Germany and, and other European countries where this wouldn't fly because it's actually taking through the uh, user's emails and actually taking out the compartments and, and the attachments. I'd have to look a little bit further into the technology to see exactly what does it see. Is it just seeing it on a code level? But also it would actually have to show uh, the actual attachments. Sort of like RSA's NetView. I forgot what the name of their product is. Uh, but it, uh, it's like that NetFlow that actually shows the actual attachments and you can show a trace back to it that intercepts the traffic and actually records all of it so you can actually reconstruct the user's emails. That's really important to make sure that the users have awareness of that policy in place, make sure they understand that that's being done. It's like because that could open up some legal issues. Yeah, that's where banners and things like that will come into play. You know, the whole idea of expected privacy and inherent privacy and, you know, the actual privacy that you are allotted on a corporate network. Yeah, right. and I know every time that I click on, you know, log into my computer, right at the beginning there's a banner at the top and there's a, you know, consent to monitor um, right. that you've got to click on. You can't do anything else unless you do that. So whether you've read it or not is a, is a different story, but you've, right. you've sent it in some form or fashion to that. If the company doesn't have that in there and they're running that, they definitely, you know, they would definitely need to add that to it. Take away that legal issue there, but this software allows for a deeper level of inspection and correlation to, to threat intelligence that exists. It's, it's really going to help out the corporate networks and really strengthen and help protect from a lot of the things that we've seen with the, the big time hacks using phishing and stuff like that, you know, like Sony and whatnot. The people are the weakest link. And yeah, people are going to whine and cry about privacy issues. But in this era, for a big corporation, you know, the amount of phishing that happens, is it better to have a piece of software that, you know, isn't going to think twice about an email that you have rather than getting, you know, hit by a phishing attack. Right. Again, it comes down to the, the privacy issue. You have to really even identify whether or not anybody's actually reading the contents. You know, does it just pass through the program and then not get cached or saved anywhere? When I mean, it shows that yeah, nothing but, is malicious there. Yeah, if it's an automated program, I think you have a lot less problems with it. And it, it, it will definitely help with preventing phishing attacks. 
you know, dramatically. Yep. The tool is available on GitHub now, and Lockheed Martin, once the Black Hat talks go up on YouTube, you will be able to to watch their presentation with their technical details about it. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting to watch that and get a better idea of how um, that's working and kind of see it in, in action. It's always Christmas for me when all the DEF CON and Black Hat videos drop. I just sit there and binge watch it. <laughs> That's this, August. It's not Christmas in July anymore. It's Christmas in August. This lucky bastard here, though, he gets yep. to sit there and watch them all. <laughs> uh, I wish I could. It's like it's it's so hard sometimes to get to the talks. This trip, I was like selling my book for like the first two days. It's like it was uh not pleasant, but I can't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow I'll be experiencing it, going to some talks. It's like uh, look out some of the villages, check out the contest area, capture the flag. It's gonna be fun tomorrow. Right on. Speaking of hackers trying to perform phishing attempts, uh, Michael's next story here is hackers exploiting Flash in Yahoo. Why don't you tell us about that, Michael? Yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Adobe's Flash isn't a safe tool. Yeah, I've heard from some of the hacking team stuff. I'm so shocked. (laughs) Shocked, I say. Right? You know, Steve Jobs back in April 2010 said something about that. In fact, you can actually find a paper that Steve Jobs wrote by just Googling Steve Jobs Flash talk. And then he kind of tears into Flash, which is a good read. Yeah, that was when everybody was saying, why why is it on the iPhone? Well, there's a reason it wasn't on the iPhone. So obviously with the hacker team last month, you know, coming out with the zero days, or, you know, bringing it to light, all the zero days that were out there for it. I'm, I'm sure those aren't even the only ones that were out there. Obviously, Flash is not a safe program to be running, and and that's what hackers were using uh, back in late July. Back on the 28th of July, a group of hackers actually targeted Yahoo's advertising network for a week before the company actually put a stop to it. They bought ads on Yahoo's sports, news, and their finance sites, and, uh, <laughs> you know, legitimate, very legitimate. Well, uh, what gets me is that that was done actually uh, several years ago. CNN got the same kind of attack. It's, it's Once again, you, people think that the main persons that are getting compromised off the websites are people going to porn sites, people going to sites they shouldn't be on in the first place where there's hacking tools or there's illegal downloads, and... The attackers know, criminals know, that the best thing to get on is an advertising site, an ad server, because the ad server feeds off uh, a website. Someone thinks that you're just going to yahoo.com or cnn.com, and if you actually can look under the hood, and there's extensions that you can get that will show you all the other websites that are called at the same time you land on yahoo.com, you could be also going to at least a dozen other sites because they're pulling in marketing, uh, tracking uh, gifts or uh, ad banners. It's like they're all coming from servers, and those are what the attackers are going after. I don't have to hack Yahoo. I don't have to hack CNN if I can get a hold of the ad banner. Oh, absolutely. I've got this story pulled up right now, and I'm look- I have uh, Adblock and Ghostry running in the right. background, and just what they're stopping, uh, Ghostry is 17 other sites that are pulling from right. this, and it's a news site. It's yeah. not. It's not. It's not porn. It's not anything else. It's a legitimate news site. 
and uh, those ad servers. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what they did. They they got into the ad service and basically once you clicked on it, like you said, you know, everything was hit, malware was downloaded, and it looked for out of date versions of Flash. Uh, people for, people didn't update their Flash. That's <laughs> I don't believe yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. Right? Update people. It's one of the best things you can do. The the top way attackers are getting onto your system is because you don't update. You know, they right. put a tool somewhere just to sit and wait and watch. And, you know, the users are doing the work for them. They can just put out an old exploit and just wait, and they will get thousands upon thousands of hits because people don't take the time to update their systems. You know, they don't update Windows because they have the updates turned off, or, you know, they start their computer up once a week and then they see the, the reboot uh apply updates and they just say no I don't want to reboot I'm in the middle of Farmville on Facebook you know or they right. see the flash update down the corner and they say I don't have time for that I'm, I'm too busy with my email here you know shopping qvc.com <laughs> right. but update people it will save you so much heartache definitely yeah yeah that's and that's what was not happening was the update they don't have the exact numbers of how many people were actually hit by this. And, and what was going on is the malware was either used to hold computers for ransom until the hackers were paid, so ransomware, or um, they were directing the browsers towards sites that the hackers were going to get paid from it it's just because of the traffic. Right. So, I mean, either way, they were either making money by encrypting your, your stuff and, yeah. and you either paying to do it or saying, you know what, it's not worth it. I don't need those, you know, gigs of family photos or just pushing you on through to somewhere else where they're going to make money on the side anyway. But like I said, they don't have the number. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, right now they're saying that, um, you know, Yahoo's, they got about 6.9 billion visits per month. Um, But Yahoo is saying that there's no way that many people were, you know, infected. It's it's the the numbers were bloated from the right. initial media. Right now, there's no way to tell how many people were actually affected by this. But you know, like right. we said, the main thing to do is update. You Definitely, can't. patch, patch, patch. Yeah, Patch Tuesday is a, a weekly yep. holiday essentially to keep <laughs> yourself safe. Yep. So Yahoo's ad services were infected, and you know, essentially infecting all all the users that went there. You know what else recently got infected? Macs. They recently got, got infected. Not all the Macs, just some just some Macs that researchers were working on. Right. Uh, some researchers discovered that they can remotely infect Macs firmware with malware that remains after reformatting. That's the best kind. That is the best yeah. kind. <laughs> researchers created Thunderstrike 2 firmware malware that could remotely infect Apple computers and remain even after users wipe their hard drive and reinstall their OS. This was demonstrated at Black Hat this week and will be demonstrated at DEF CON. I think they said today, actually, the 8th. Oh, okay. Were you able to see that or check it out at all? Uh, no, I uh, I was in a blur uh, getting ready for my talk, so I, I have not been able to see hardly any talks just yet. And he was busy giving awkward hugs all day. That's true. There were a lot of awkward hugs going on. <laughs> That's all that I kept seeing. Uh, so basically, this malware is so bad that it you basically have to toss your, your Mac in the trash. Uh, Why would you do that? 
<laughs> well, I would use the Apple Care. I would not go that extreme. I would just use Apple Care and get a new Mac. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's another good away. option. <laughs> well, see, I, yeah. I don't, I don't like Mac, so I would just throw it away. Yeah. My problems with Macs is Apple's adverseness to actually take security seriously. To actually, they are in the stages still. Uh, back in the day when not many people were using Mac, so therefore security through obscurity was working pretty well. Well, guess what? That time is over, and now you're in the realm of the Microsoft world where people are now targeting you. It's like people didn't target Macs because there was no money in it. It was visual artists and movie producers and, and, and production people, uh, and, biz, and Macs were uh, done for artists and college students, and PCs were done for business people. So there's where the money's at for the business people. But now more and more businesses are using Macs, and so therefore it's going to be a bigger target. So they need to start taking it a little bit more seriously. Not only for that reason, but also, you know, in, in the hacker community and researcher community, when somebody says something is unbreakable and something oh, is... Yeah. Unhackable. What are we gonna do? Challenge accepted. Yeah, we're gonna break it, and that's exactly yeah. one of the problems that Mac has done here, because yeah. Mac for many many years was saying, "Hey, we can't be hacked. We are invulnerable. You know, malware doesn't touch us," and that was waving a huge red flag in front of angry internet sure. bulls. <laughs> exactly. It's they like were the parents saying, telling a kid, "You can't do this." They were daring. Right. You're gonna do it. They were daring yep. us security researchers to prove them wrong. And you know, Apple previously claimed that Macs were not vulnerable to the same firmware flaws that could backdoor normal PCs. And right. I kind of hate. I can't I hate that term when when Mac calls themselves Mac and then calls anything else a PC because they are a PC, personal right. computer. That's what PC stands for. People, please stop saying Macs right. aren't PCs. They are PCs. Right. <laughs> So researchers proved they could remotely infect Macs with a firmware worm that's so tough to detect and get rid of. A lot of the researchers are saying, just toss your, your Mac away. But again, you don't have to do that. You can use your, your Apple Care. Yep. And if you paid for it. Yeah, if you paid for it, and use your Apple window. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this name, Thunderstrike 2 Sith Strike. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big yep. fan of that name, too. One thing we are really good at in the research community is making names for stuff. Like yep. Heart, Heartbleed. And we even made a beautiful logo for Heartbleed. Yep. That, that's one of the things that gets me is that, uh, that it doesn't seem like the public will take it seriously unless it's got some kind of cool marketable name for the vulnerability. Uh, there's so many vulnerabilities that are out there that are not being uh, properly patched, and I'm just thinking if they only had a good PR agent, uh, maybe we'd be more secured. I decided every vulnerability I find, I'm going to name after Norse gods. There you go. Yeah, that's super marketable. So you're only going to find a few and then be done yep. with it, right? Is, is... Oh, no, there's there's actually a huge range of Norse gods out there. Um, so anyway. <laughs> I don't know my Norse gods. Uh, <laughs> Although several attacks have been presented against Mac firmware, unlike their PC counterparts, all of them required physical presence to perform. However, for the Thunderstrike 2, that's not necessarily um, the same. A lot of them require, you know, the laptops or desktops to be on the same network to be touching each other logically and physically through the connections. But for the Thunderstrike 2 malware, 
the malware is actually able to write itself onto any removable media as long as it has ROM on it and can just hop into air gap systems on somebody's thumb drive or their removable hard drive. Wow. That's going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really bad. All it takes is somebody taking a couple of you know thumb drives, dropping them here and there, and marking it with some kind well, of... Also, well, I think like bigger as an attacker. Uh, you go to uh, Washington, D.C., you go to the Apple Store... It's like you buy um, all the Thunderbolt Ethernet adapters, which can be weaponized. It's like you weaponize all of them, you reseal them to make sure that they don't look like they've been tampered with, and ask for a refund and tell them that you didn't need them after all, and they put those back on the shelf, and any person coming in uh, is going to buy a weaponized malware Ethernet adapter. This is why I like you, Jason. You're evil. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have I'm thought of bad, that. Oh, I'm not a bad guy. I'm just really good at thinking bad things. <laughs> so that's why that's why we need you. Yeah. I was actually in a uh, production company in L.A. talking to a studio about a TV show, and the producer, one of the producers, was like, uh, "They're talking about different scenarios." And he's like, yeah, we want to talk about like different scenarios that impact people. Like, I heard that you could get a satellite and actually make it go out of orbit and, and then make it uh, not be able to uh, take out communication. And me, instantly, I'm like, well, yeah, that's bad, but why stop there? What I would do is you could hack into NASA because they're uh, child's play, get the telemetry specs of the space station, use the space station to actually crash into the satellites and then crash the space station in downtown Manhattan. That's how I would do it. If I was going to do something like that, that's what I'd do. And everybody around the room just looked at me like, you just thought of that? So, yeah, trust me, you give me any situation, I can make it worse. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened to have been Mr. Robot, would it? Uh, nope. It's like, I wish I could have. If it was Mr. Robot, there would have been more awkward hugs. Uh, but I do like their uh, technical consultant. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed with that with Mr. Robot. Like I sat there and I would look through all the lines of code that Elliot would type, yeah. and I was blown away with how accurate they were using yeah. all the tools. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh my god! Like you could literally watch this and learn how to use John the Ripper just by mimicking exactly what he's typing there. It's you might insane. Not understand what you're doing, but. Well, you'll know how to well, use I it. Don't like the, I don't like how flawed he is. It's like he's a little bit too flawed as a character, as a stereotypical, this is what hackers are. It's like they've got all these issues. But uh, from the technical side, and I'm, I'm I liking the storyline, it's like what's going on, it's keeping you guessing. So uh, I'm definitely on the plus side of hackers in television shows on this one. It's definitely not CSI Cyber. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean you mean two people on the same exact keyboard typing at the same exact time oh my because gosh. they're too slow? Yeah, it's there's some really bad examples. Yes. You don't remember that day at work where that oh, actually oh, happened? Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Me and you, we both had to hop on the same keyboard during. SSH tunneling because I was we were too slow individually to SSH tunnel properly. That yeah, was amazing. I, I couldn't, yeah. you know, like pass the hash and it just I needed help. Yep. 
It's just sad. So, <laughs> getting segueing back into our Max story. Okay. Um, besides using Apple Care, the only way to recover from this attack is to reflash the SPI flash chip with a known clean copy of the firmware. Which everybody knows how to do. I well, I keep all that equipment in my office, like right behind me there. So that's it's it's in that closet. Exactly. <laughs> Apple's been notified of the flaws, however, but naturally the vulnerabilities are not discussed within the Apple's description of the Mac's Thunderbolt interface and Thunderbolt peripherals. Apple did partially fix a Mac EFI flaw back in June. And the researchers said other issues they identified are still unpatched. Which, you know, if you know about the flaws, why not patch them? Because they're Apple. They don't have to take those things seriously yet. But they will soon. Last week, we talked about, you know, one of the flaws that was in there that could give you root access. And it was updated in the newest edition, the uh, El Capitan um, beta. But the current 1010... 4, 10, 10, 5, 10, 10, 4, I think, right. was not. So they know about it. They know it's out there. They're just not doing anything right. about it. So this seems like a continuing trend. Definitely. Yeah. Macs are vulnerable. Guess what else is vulnerable? Your Dropbox everything. and Google... Everything. <laughs> yeah. Your Dropbox and Google Drive without malware being needed. Using now malware or stolen credentials, attackers can obtain complete access to a user's Google Drive or Dropbox account, steal data, and corrupt legitimate files with malicious code to infect target users. It's called man-in-the-cloud attack. It's undetectable by both perimeter and endpoint security tools. Researchers at Imperva released details about an attack which can compromise cloud file sync services like Google Drive and Dropbox or OneDrive, but not by breaking down the front door and infecting users and stealing credentials, but by using the user's endpoint machine. To sync files between the endpoint and the cloud, services make the user authenticate, then hands them a synchronization token and stores it at on the endpoint. The token can be used on multiple machines, though, which is a bad thing. Right. <laughs> it's convenient. Just, does not always mean secure. Exactly. Right. I can't tell you how many times I hear people complain that they keep getting logged out of websites because, you know, the, the website requires re-authentication every X right. amount of hours, and right. they complain and hate the website, and I, I keep telling them it's for your own good. They're re-authenticating right. to make sure that your cookies weren't stolen via a cross-site script and somebody's not impersonating you. But then they don't listen to me because their eyes glaze over once they hear cross-site scripting and, you know, they stop understanding me. I wasn't going across the site. Yeah, I don't know exactly. You, and I don't know how to script, so what are you talking about? All the man-in-the-middle cloud attacker needs to do is steal a copy of the synchronization token. Right. Which probably can be done through a cross-site script. Uh, as Imperva has discovered... They can do that by convincing the user to run some code that really won't raise any red flags. So here's a new copy of Solitaire you should install. Oh, look at that. We have your tokens. Instead of using noisy malware, they can just make a few basic and temporary configuration changes. So they really won't see anything happen on their system 
that is going to be detrimental to that to them like a lot of malware is. You know, a lot of times you install something and it has malware and all of a sudden you're getting redirected left and right or your right. computer's running slower or people are getting random emails from you and you're like, No, I didn't send you those those links for Viagra pills. What are you talking about? Right. Instead, this just makes a a couple of configuration changes. This is done via a tool that Imperva has created called Switcher. So the attacker social engineers the victim into running the, the code using, of course, phishing because humans are the weakest link in any network. It installs a new synchronization token for the, the cloud account owned by the attacker. The victim's machine will then sync with the attacker's account instead of the cloud account so that a copy of the synchronization token for the victim's legitimate account is then stored on the attacker's account. From then on, the two are synced. And the process only takes a couple seconds. Then all the attacker has to do is hide their tracks by switching their configurations back because they have the token. No need to mess with the individual machine anymore. Exactly. After that, the attackers have free reign to alter any files, steal any files you know, add malware to any of the files so that way then that malware can then spread through any networks that that person might be connected to. So, you know, if somebody's using a, a Google Drive at their work computer and you want to get a piece of malware onto that network and you know a common file that's constantly being pulled, like a, a PDF file, you can then weaponize that PDF file using that token that you're using for the synchronization. Uh, currently, there's no fix for this, which is really scary. Well, you, you can lose the account. Yeah, you know, if <laughs> I guess if you know that well, your account's been compromised, you can always stop using that account. However, it's not, you're not going to know it's been compromised until it's too late. You know, right. until you've infected your work network, your home network, your friends' network from hopping on their Wi-Fi. I think one of the biggest things, once again, it's the way attackers are going to evolve. Attacks are going to get more sophisticated. It's not going to be easier. It's like when dealing with that kind of thing with the humans, it's like why go through the front door? Why try to make it more difficult? It's like we expect all the attacks to be something as obvious as your machine slowing down or cross-site scripting, something like where it goes in and uh, you see something noticeable or like ransomware coming around. Those are the blatant attacks. Those are the stick-up artists, like the guys going into a grocery store with a ski mask and a shotgun. Yeah, some of them were successful, but not many, versus the you know uh, Ocean's Eleven job where they do sophisticated, they do it's complicated, but you end up walking away with millions. Um, the I, I can see a massive infection vector because of the fact that all your cloud documents now that you store up in Dropbox and, and these Google Docs are now, as you go on the line, or just, or just as soon as you're downloading them, you're trusting them because these are your documents. You have no reason not to trust them. Right. They didn't come from a wrong source. You could actually send emails to other people and stuff, you know, here, download this Google Doc or download this Dropbox, and it's coming from you because they had the token to give that person permission. So even if you do, it was totally, this is the bad thing that I would think of. It's like I would uh, compromise all these Dropbox accounts, and then I would start sending out malware from these accounts. 
So therefore, when it starts getting traced back or it starts getting go to back, it goes back to the innocent victim. It never comes back to me. It's very true. So I guess I guess users could perform scans on even files that they feel are trusted because they upload it. So like. If you have right. a if you have a Dropbox, Google Drive, uh, OneDrive, whatever, before you run anything on any network, you know because this exploit is out there, because this is possible, scan right. every file, even if you yeah. uploaded it yourself, and you feel 100% that you trust this file, scan it. Trust nothing on the right. internet. Right, and more importantly, check your logs, check your settings, make sure nothing has been. Try to do a good reuse policy like every three months, changing your password and credentials on it uh, to make that change. So if they do have it, they have a smaller window uh, to actually uh, utilize it. It's true as well. Password changing is also a you know key to really good cybersecurity. Yes. You know, you're never 100% secure, though. You, know, you may change your password constantly. You may constantly update do everything that every single source says, but you can still be hacked. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, one trusted link, trusted quote-unquote link from somebody who you believe is, you know, in your chain of trust, such as your mom sending you a pie recipe, and congratulations, you've got a worm or you've got a botnet now sitting on your computer. Right. That pie better be good. <laughs> it's an amazing pie. It's a rhubarb. Oh, rhubarb. Come on. Apple or pumpkin, something. Ugh. So what was the best thing you saw at Black Hat this week? I saw nothing at Black Hat, honestly. Uh, to to be uh, honestly, I was in the Pony Express booth or their meeting room doing book signing the whole entire day, both days. It was exhausting. Wow. I mean, the good news is, is that we came to Vegas with over 200 books, and on the second day of DEF CON before noon, we sold out. So I'm happy about that. So have you seen anything good at DEF CON so far? Yes. Uh, they've got some good technology out here. It's like uh, I've seen uh, some of the new tools that are coming out through the vendor area because, like I said, I've mostly I've been able to have to go to the vendor area. There was a good talk in the SE Village about a guy who can digitally assassinate someone in other words, make sure that every record system thinks that they're actually deceased so they can't get a driver's license, can't get loans, problems with taxes. That's not cool. So there, there, are, some, there are some definitely good talks out here, uh, and I'm going to do the same thing that I, that I always have to do, which is wait till they uh, come online so I can actually see a lot of them. I do a lot of hallway con. Uh, I do my talk. It's like uh, I tell people me getting up on stage and doing my talk is the least significant part of my time at a conference. It's like uh, most of my time should be spent uh, talking to others, networking with people, getting to know new people, getting to see my old friends, uh, and learning new things that way. So I, I spend a lot of the time trying to go out there and just uh, meet and greet, uh, network, and uh, see what other attacks are out there and see what other defenses are out there. Right on. So that tool, somebody watched the net in the 90s and was like, I want to do that. Exactly. That's what that's what it seemed like, yes. Wow. That's kind of scary. Without Sandra Bullock, of course, but that still seems right. very scary. 
in a couple of days we have uh, Cali 2 coming out. What are your nice. thoughts on Cali 2? Uh, I can't wait to see it. I'll have to start getting ready to update it. Uh, I've like as soon as I get home, I'm going to be uh, in prep for my next trip. So I, I'm not going to have much time to uh, to breathe or uh, uh, check it out. But uh, as soon as I get back, I should be uh, uh, hitting the hitting the VMware and, and checking it out. Right on. And on those notes, this week we covered Lockheed Open Sources its secret weapon and cyber threat detection. Hackers exploit Flash in one of the world's largest malware attacks in recent history. And from that, we determined patch, patch, patch. It's always good to patch people. If you don't patch, you're opening yourself up to attackers. Macs can be remotely infected with firmware malware that remains after reformatting. If you're hit by that, use your Apple Care. Because, because the only other way to recover yourself from that is to reflash the chips. And most home users don't have that ability. Man in the Cloud owns your Dropbox and Google Drive. Scan everything before you download it. Even if you believe that item is safe, scan it. Trust nothing on the Internet. I was your host this week, Raymond Evans, and he was my glorious co-host, Michael Fairweather. And our amazing special co-host we had this week, who I hope to have again, because his insights were just so awesome. Thank you, Flower Me, Jason E. Street. Stay safe. Keep your network safe. Have a week. Have a week. Take care.